0: From the New York City area, welcome to the Badass Counseling Show, where the master badass himself, Sven Erlinson, takes you deep and gives balm for the soul, baby.
1: And we are here in studio with you. This is the Badass Counseling Show podcast, and it's terrific to have you with us. For those of you joining us live on YouTube during this podcast taping, it's great to have you here. Thanks for joining us. For those of you who do not catch us on YouTube, please know that you can catch our podcast with video and uncut. Only on YouTube. It's great to have everyone here from Lithuania to Louisiana and Dublin to Dubuque. Joining us here in studio, I am joined with Rob the Rocket. Rob, how are you today?
2: I'm doing fine, Sven. So nice to see you. And I see you have a special guest sitting (laughs) here for a change. (laughs) Well, not a special guest per se, but
1: the lovely KC has deigned. She's special. She is special to come down from the booth. How, How are you today, KC?
3: Doing great. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. It's odd to have you down here what's it like being down here from the booth
3: i much prefer to be away from both of you (laughs) (laughs) she's such a
1: pleasant one
2: casey i know that when you're up in the booth you take notes uh, for the executive producer uh, Sven. does he ever read them does he listen to you
3: yes actually he does
2: oh good
1: some of the best notes come from you two not out of my fat head all right. Speaking of notes, Rob, we've got a very interesting story today. Lay it on us, a short one. So we've got some deep diving to do. Lay it on us.
2: All right, Sven. Here we go. Lydia wrote in to us and said, simply, I filed for divorce, but I've never felt so much pain. I have met with other counselors that said my relationship was abusive, but I feel like there is so much more I could have done. I am not sure how to own my decision.
1: Hello, Lydia. Great to have you with us today. How's it going? Great, great, great. Um, (laughs) So let's just go ahead and get started. I'm sorry. First of all, I'm sorry to hear you say that you've never felt so much pain. Let me ask you, what's the most painful part?
4: I think it's just the disappointment of what you were hoping for and
1: what the reality is. And what was it above all else that you were hoping for?
4: Obviously, like a good marriage and family and a long-term relationship In I'm just having a hard, hard time with. Hey, did I did I make the right choice or did I did I ruin that?
1: Fair enough. And so, the two of you were married for how long? Almost seven years. Almost seven years, and uh, you chose to get the divorce. Is that correct? Yeah. And what made you decide to get a divorce, Lydia?
4: Like we've definitely been trying to work th- through things for a while. Kind of what it boiled down to is, um, I end up getting a protection order on my husband because of drinking and there had been some aggression and things in the past. And I just promised myself if he didn't take accountability for it, then that's what I needed to do. And so the whole summer, he the only thing he told me was that
1: I needed to get help. That you needed to get help?
4: Correct. So I asked him, "He do you want to get help? What do you want? And he just said, I just hope
1: you can get help. I see. So he was insisting you were the one with the problem? Is that what he was saying? Yeah. I see. Okay. Well, this month is uh, Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And you talk about in the paragraph that you sent us, you say, I've met with other counselors that said my relationship was abusive. It's an interesting little sentence. You don't say that you say it was abusive, but your counselors say it was abusive. And so what was it that led these counselors to believe that you were in an abusive relationship? What specifically are we talking about?
4: Well, when we were first married, like the first couple of years we were married, he was pretty like, aggressive as far as like getting in my face. Um, He threw a chair across the kitchen, pretty much every insult you can think of verbally, but then, you know, there was the apologies after. And so about actually a year, a little over a year ago, we were meeting with a counselor and he said he had started drinking again. And, had threatened some violence towards himself in front of me. And so that cancel counselor advised us, my daughter and I to leave our house. And we were actually gone for eight months and we came back. Um, Cause we felt like, you know, there had been change. And then he started drinking again only a couple months after we got back and was hiding it and, Lying about it, um, so I was worried that because there had been like temper issues, you know, several years before, now that he added drinking to it, that maybe those
1: behaviors would return. And that was this summer when this was was happening.
4: Yeah, it was. So I put a protection order on him in June.
1: In June, okay, and mm-hmm. then you filed for divorce when.
4: In August.
1: In August, okay. And uh, when is the expectation that the divorce will be finalized? I don't know. Okay, fair enough. So let me ask you this. You reported these things to these different therapists, and you say they said it was abusive. Do you believe that your relationship was abusive? Because you don't say in your paragraph, it was abusive. You say the, the counselors said it was abusive. What do you think it was?
4: Logically, when you say, Say what happened out loud. Mm-hmm. It sounds pretty bad, right? right? You're like, "Oh, that sounds bad," but when you're in it, it doesn't seem that bad.
3: Mm.
4: And then you're like, "But I love this person," and you see the like the good in them. So it's hard to say, "Oh, they're like unhealthy," when you see like the good parts. But then, anytime I say, "Hey, this happened," and it seemed kind of messed up people's reactions are like, yeah, that is messed up. (laughs) So it's confusing because that person kind of, you know, it makes it, well, they downplay it, I guess. And so then you're like, well, maybe it's just me. It's I'm down. I'm, I'm too sensitive or it's my insecurities that are making this a big deal.
1: Okay. And, and that makes sense. And for those of us who have been in abusive relationships, and I have more than one, uh, that was both verbally and physically abusive towards me, um, and I get it. You do downplay it. And we all have our different reasons. What do you think the reason was uh, that in your own head, you downplayed it? You you've just said that he was downplaying it as well. What do you think the main reason was for you that you didn't see it as abuse? Was it because you didn't want to think of it that way or you just wanted to focus on the good or you so desperately wanted this dream to work that you ignored it? What was it for you, do you think, that most caused you to um, not look at the bad?
4: Well, honestly, kind of all of the above. Sure. But really, I think um, I got married later. Like I was almost 30 or both former d1 athletes and you know pretty driven people and i felt like you know i really wanted this and when we were first married i remember we got in a fight and he looked me right in the eyes and said just so you know i will always one-up you mm. and i felt like at that moment instead of me being oh i need to have boundaries i thought i need to be the person that takes the high road right the person that smooth things over so that we don't have conflicts like this again oh and so whether it was like conscious or not i think i naturally started taking that role of justifying like oh he's in a bad mood or it's just because of this or maybe if i do this better
1: so when when you took on that role of i'm going to be the one that smooths things over Was that a conscious thought? I'm gonna, I need to be the one that smooths things over if he's always gonna be one upping shit. Was that a conscious thought that you had?
4: Yeah, it was because I was like, oh, if, if I don't, we're gonna have like huge fights.
1: So to avoid the fights, to avoid the conflicts, you made a decision that I'm just gonna back down and I'm gonna keep smoothing it over, sort of keep the peace, right? Yeah. Okay, fair enough.
4: And then I, after reading your book, I realized, well, what if I would have had better boundaries, then maybe it could have been different. Maybe the outcome would have been different. And then that really hurts, feeling like, oh,
1: if I would have just had better boundaries, we wouldn't be in this spot. Well, and and the price of those boundaries, though, is the conflict. And it's, it's the willingness to endure the conflict and not back down. See, uh, when two people come into a relationship, generally, they're going to be roughly equal in power. And if one person, if there are conflicts, and there are conflicts in every relationship, there are arguments in every relationship, all right? If if you're not having occasional conflicts or arguments in a relationship, you're not real, and you've probably, two people have probably already checked out, and they're living as roommates, not partners, but there's always gonna be conflict. And what happens is when we escalate, we sort of create a power imbalance. Then sometimes the other person will escalate, or sometimes they'll back down, or we'll back ourselves down. But if this person is always saying, I'm always gonna one-up you, In other words, no matter how, what I hear you saying is no matter how hot you got or how angry you got in a situation, he was always going to go higher, right? Isn't that what he was saying? Yeah. Okay. And so then what that means is that he's establishing, I'm always going to have power over you. I'm always going to go higher and hotter and meaner and tougher than you. So you decided, okay, well, shit, I don't want that conflict. So I'm just gonna smooth it over so that he doesn't go hot. So you are at that point that you made that decision because you didn't want the conflict. And I don't blame you. I mean, nobody wants conflict in a relationship. It's inevitable, but you know, you were young, you're 30, and it's just like, well, shit, I guess if we can avoid some conflict, I'll just sort of be the smoother over. I'll, I'll sort of back it down, all right? And so what got cemented, In that period, when he made that statement and you made that own statement in your head and I'm going to be the person who smooths it over, you cemented a power imbalance, a permanent power imbalance, and that gave him the power and you became the subservient one. And the price of that then, that's not necessarily always a bad thing if you're dealing with two players who are operating in good faith. Because in a lot of relationships, I I got together with some friends recently, couples, there were three, four of us couples around the table. And I asked the question, what's the power structure in your relationship? And in almost every one of the relationships, there was a difference in power. And they both recognized it and they were okay with it. Okay? And they were, uh, but it was, they were all acting in good faith. The problem was your husband wasn't acting in good faith with the power that you gave him. When you said to yourself, I'm going to be the person who smooths it over, I'm going to be the one that backs down, he did not operate in good faith. And he used that over you to make you feel very, very bad. And he used words to keep you down. And he used a physical energy and aggressiveness to keep you down. Is that accurate? Do I Am I portraying it accurately? I don't mind being wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong.
4: No, I think that's correct. I feel like there was times that like I did try to set a boundary and kind of like you're One of your videos said is I felt like I ended up backing down. Right. Like I tried to, like he was being rude and I, I kind of escalated and he smashed a plate of food in my face.
1: He, because he's always going to one-up you. Correct. So when you stood up and tried to equalize that power imbalance, he escalated even higher. I'm going to throw shit now. I'm going to call you even nastier names. I'm going to rage even louder. Right. Isn't that what we're talking about?
4: Yeah, or if I called him out and was like, hey, that's not okay. Like, I don't appreciate you like talking to me like that. Then I feel like his rage would escalate to the point that it was scary. Yep. And so whether it was subconscious or not, over time I felt like I needed to do everything to avoid that reaction.
1: Exactly. That once we sort of get it in our head, we don't want the other person to be mad at us and they get scary And we don't want to get hurt, and we don't want to feel those shitty feelings. And so we back down, and we back down, and we back down. I want to ask you a very strange question. If you could get a do-over on one decision, all right? One decision. God comes to you tonight and says, I'm going to give you one decision over that you can redo, Lydia. What decision would you choose to redo?
4: That's a good question.
1: (laughs) I thought of it myself. Thank you.
4: <laughs> I don't know. I've thought about that a lot because I think about what would have happened if we would have stayed last year and we wouldn't have left. And I would have tried to support him more. What would have happened? Or what would have happened if I didn't put the protection order on him? Would he have chosen to get help for his drinking instead of feeling like I like violated his trust? Those are the two. I mean,
1: what did I can think of? So if you were given the opportunity, if life just rewound the tape and you could make a decision over, you offered two. One, I could stay and support him more. And two, I could not. I could choose to not put in a protection order. So in both of those cases, and and you correct me if I'm wrong. I don't mind being wrong. In both of those cases, you're basically saying, I should have backed down. That if I could go back and make a decision over, I shouldn't have left. I should have just stayed and been nice and supported him and made it all about him. And instead of putting in the protection order, you know, because that caused him to distrust, supposedly, according to his story, I should have just stayed and been more supportive. So in both cases, you're basically saying that I should have done more for him. Is that accurate? Or Yeah, I felt
4: like maybe like or maybe if I was more secure and I had less insecurities than maybe the things he said to me wouldn't have bothered me so much.
1: Fair, uh, but as far as uh, you know, decisions you would have made differently, isn't it fascinating that when you logically look at your relationship, you realize it was abusive and everyone around you realized it's abusive and your therapists realized it was abusive. So when I asked you, gee, if you could make a decision differently, you what was fascinating is you didn't say, yeah, I'd go back and I wouldn't back down from the very beginning. I would let him know from the very beginning that if you raise a hand towards me, if you fly off on tangents, I am out the fucking door at the very beginning. You didn't say that. In other words, you didn't say I would, if I could do a decision differently, I would stand up for me more. You actually said, if I could do a decision differently, I would back down for him more. In both cases, I would stay and support him and I wouldn't put the protection order in place because he didn't feel good about that. In both cases, even though you know you've been abused, you say, I would basically back down more and support him more. In other words, you believe, you believe that you are at fault, that you failed this marriage, that you are divorced now because you failed. What percent is that accurate? What percent is that inaccurate?
4: I would say 90%, but then hearing you say it, there's a part of me that's like, no, I should have been that person that held my boundaries, Bingo. but why wasn't I? And that's what I'm feeling so much pain about is like, why wasn't I that person that held my All boundaries? All right. Now I, why am I that person that is so worried about what he thinks instead of what I think?
1: Exactly. All right. I I, I have to ask. You said you played D1 sports. What uh, sport did you play in college? Basketball. Basketball. And uh, what position did you play in basketball? Center. I'm 6'4". So you were clearly, (laughs) despite every point guard's uh, opinion that they're the leader of the team, you know, I mean, you were like the rock, the anchor of the team, or what was your role on the team? I mean, I know what a center does, but what sort of, when it comes to the personalities and the team spirit, what was your role on the team?
4: I was definitely like the hustle person, the defender, the rebounder. My offense was so-so, probably because I thought about it too much. Ah. But definitely like, you know, the post player that sprinted with all the point guards in conditioning. Um, I'm also a, a certified strength and conditioning coach. So I always loved that part of it. But I was definitely kind of the the goofy one that just just hustled.
1: Right on. Hard work and a good attitude. I tell you, that goes a long way. Um, let me ask you, though, I was a D1 athlete as well. And for those of you who are not in the United States, D1 is the top level of collegiate athletics, university athletics in the United States. It's the last level before pro. So anybody playing Division one is a very high-caliber athlete. Uh, so when Lydia says that, it means she was indeed She's modestly saying she was a high caliber athlete. One of the things about playing division one football and um, I've coached uh, at the uh, intercollegiate level is that very often, especially in football and and big guy sports, the biggest guys are the most docile. They're just like, I mean, they can rev it up on the field, right? They can go out with a killer instinct, but they don't have to prove themselves. They're just real, you know, generally pretty, kind, down-to-earth guys. They don't have big attitudes. Is it the same being a six-foot-four woman uh, in in sports or in life? Would you consider yourself a somewhat docile person?
4: I think to an extent, like, I have to be friendly to people or they're scared of me.
1: (laughs) Right. I get that.
4: Like, um, yeah, I mean, even at my skinniest, like, I'm still, you know, over 200 pounds. So, being tall and, and solid, like I feel like I have to be more outgoing or people wouldn't talk
1: to me. I hear you. Because it's
0: intimidating. Intimidating.
1: <laughs> so. That's right. That's right. And so then let me ask you, how has how did that mentality of you know being friendly and, and the joker on the team and you know being going out of your way to make put people at ease, what amount of that carried into your marriage? what amount of it carried in where I'm going to back down and make things happen? I mean, you're a big person, so you know, tall and, you know, and strong, I have no doubt. And yet you came in and decided I'm going to be the, after he escalated a few times, you decided I'm going to be the one who backs down. What aspects of your personality were playing into that decision?
4: I don't know. I think there is some insecurity of like, you know, I want, I want this person that I love to like me. And he's, he was a D1 left tackle. So it's, he's not a small person either. Right. And I just felt like, Hey, I know that I'm stubborn. Like I'm a redhead. I know I'm stubborn. And if our stubbornness is collide, I don't see how it would turn out well. But I think there's also a part of me that like wanted to be loved so much that I was scared of what might happen if I did not
1: There it is. Wanted to be loved so much that I was scared of what would happen if I didn't back down. All right. And I want to go directly into that exact topic. You took the words right out of my mouth right after this break. Much more to come. Stay with us. So I was telling a buddy of mine how he seems happier. He told me about the book that changed his life. So I bit. I went to the Badass Counseling website and downloaded There's a Hole in My Love Cup audiobook. I started listening to it on my commute home from work and holy cow, it was a Louisville slugger to the face. I literally sat in my car, in the driveway, night after night, listening through to the end of a chapter or doing the journaling exercises. My wife started to see changes. I started to change. A lot. My default response stopped always being anger. Now I manage a team of salespeople and I changed as a leader. I was listening more, not always just reacting. When their numbers started going up seemingly out of nowhere, I knew what the reason was. There's a hole in my love cup is now required listening for any person on my sales team or working for me and I gladly buy it for them. You gotta listen to this book.
0: This show provides soul counseling intended to entertain and inform and is not medical advice. Now, back to the badass.
1: And we are back in studio. We are joined by Lydia. And Lydia, you said right before the break that my own insecurities played in and my wanting to be liked wanting to be loved so much that i was you know scared to lose him and and scared of those fights and scared that if i didn't sort of and now i'm sort of adding some words and you correct me if it's not accurate okay but scared that if i didn't sort of give him what he wanted and and take it then he wouldn't love me that he would walk away is that accurate
4: yeah i think i was scared that it we would get too mad at each other because we were both so stubborn and so determined that it wouldn't end well.
1: And if you got too mad at each other, what was it you feared happening?
4: That's also a super good question, Sven.
1: Thought of it (laughs) myself. Thank you, Lydia. And what is it you feared happening if we got too mad at each other?
4: I guess I feared like the very situation that I'm in right now.
1: And that is what?
4: That our marriage wouldn't work out
1: and that you would be alone, That you, and did, which did you fear more? I'm just curious, and maybe you never really thought about it, but which did you fear more? If you stood up to him, is it, and and didn't back down, but maintain your boundaries and said, no, nobody gets to treat me that way, dude. Is it, did you most fear him leaving you, or did you most fear you having to leave him? Or is it, I just feared being alone? I don't know. Take a shot at it. You change your you can change your mind tomorrow. You can change your mind in five minutes, but take a shot at it. What did you fear most? Him leaving you, you leaving him, or just having to be alone.
4: I think me getting so angry that I left. Cause like the few times that I can think of, like right when we were married, mm-hmm. I like instinctually reacted. Like, and I went out, you know, I walked out the front door. And then I was like, but I don't want this. I don't want to be that stubborn person that that makes things escalate. And well, I don't want to have these kind of conflicts.
1: Okay. Uh, were you the person that made them escalate or was it two people making them escalate? Or was it him making them escalate? You got three choices. Either it was you or it was him or it was both of you.
4: It was at first like he did something, he would just say something really mean or call me a bull in a china cabinet or accuse me of being clumsy and then i reacted to that ah and see. then it escalated and i realized oh i can't react like that or
1: how how should you react as you see it how should you react when someone says something mean to you when your lover the person who claims to love you says something mean to you how should you react as you see it because you responded you said i reacted so he was mean i reacted so you're saying you shouldn't react or what should you do if someone's mean to you
4: i think you should like tell them, hey, I don't appreciate you treating me that way, but not necessarily like reacting with like temper or. Well, right. And that would be
1: nice, except it hurts. If somebody says something mean, that means it hurts. And when it hurts, unfortunately we get swollen with emotion, don't we? But so let me ask you in those situation where he's mean and then you react out of anger, um, what's the distribution of fault?
4: I would say that he was more at fault. Like there was times that he would just come home and start complaining and criticizing me. And I didn't even do anything or walk in the kitchen and just kind of shove me into the cabinet. And I was like, why are you in a bad mood? Oh, you know?
1: Right. Right. He'd just walk into the kitchen and shove you into a cabinet.
4: Yeah. Just kind of like bump me. Like you're kind of bullying someone. Right. And I, I think the worst thing he ever said to me was, I brought something to his attention. I said, you know, that that really hurt me that you did that. That that made me feel really bad. And his response was, well, how do you think I feel? I never thought I'd be married to someone that looks like you.
1: Oh, wow.
4: And that just, like, kind of killed me,
1: yeah. you know? Yeah, no, of course it killed you. Of course it did. And
4: okay. when we met, I had just done, like, a bikini competition and, like, qualified for nationals for, like, a figure competition. Wow. So I was like in super good shape and then I had some pretty severe injuries like Achilles tendon tear and a patella tendon tear. And so, no, I definitely had gained some weight. So I feel like that was just like my ultimate insecurity. Of course. And it crushed me.
1: Of course it did. Of course it did. So this was a mean man. You don't love someone and say shit like that. You just don't. You don't. And I have to be very honest with you. The fact that you, um, you know, I asked you the question about the redo. What would you do over? What decision? And you said stay and support him and then not put the protection order in place. What's interesting is the only time that he stopped drinking was when you left. You see that? Right. In other words, when you asserted your power, he backed down. When you asserted your power, stood up for yourself. He realized, oh, shit, she's got power, and he was afraid of losing you. So he changed his tune. It's reasonable to assume that if you had just stayed and been supportive of him and, and just kept smoothing it over and smoothing it over, he had there was no incentive to change. But by you leaving, oh, you created a pain point for him. You basically said, fuck this shit. Nobody treats me this way. Right? Right. And so let me ask you then, above all else, what is the real fear driving you? What is the fear that caused you to keep eating it and taking it and taking it? The bullying and the horrible words, the painful words. What is it? What was going on inside of you? Clearly, at some point, you proved you weren't afraid to leave. Okay. Because you did leave. All right, so what was the fear driving you that caused you to keep taking it and taking it? Was it the fear of being alone or what?
4: No, I really think that that would be accurate because I don't want, like, I don't want my daughter, like, in a split parent home. And the thought of even, like, being in a different relationship is, like, inimaginable. Like, I can't even think about it. Plus... I feel like in my head, like he seemed like the the exact kind of person that I wanted. And, you know, not that many people are like, Oh, my dream girl is like a six, four girl that I can be the little spoon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. that That's a real factor, you know? And, and so I do feel like there's some fear there.
1: And the fear that no one will ever love me again. I've got a guy here who loves me. And I fear that because of who I am, I may not be loved again. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Wow. And that, to be totally honest with you, we all have fears. And your fear is just as legitimate as anybody else's. It's a legitimate fear. And, you know, I have no idea what it's like to be you. So when you say you have that fear, I totally believe you 100%. But unfortunately, that fear of not being loved again you know and and the fear of your daughter coming from a split parent home growing up in a split parent home which now you've made that decision and clearly you're okay with that it sucks but you're choosing that over keeping her in a home where mommy's being abused you made a choice yeah and why did why did you believe that your daughter growing up in a split parent home is better than your daughter growing up uh seeing mommy abused
4: I just had like a good friend that grew up with a, an alcoholic father who ended up dying to alcoholism when she was 16. And she just said, I promise you, it wasn't better that my parents were together. And she said, what if Emma, which is my daughter was in the same situation as you, what would you tell her to do? And would you be okay with her having this relationship.
1: Would you be okay with what?
4: My daughter being in a relationship like me when she grows up.
1: And what was your answer? Hell no. Hell no, exactly, hell no. And the mere fact though, isn't it fascinating? So that says you have clarity about the relationship. It wouldn't have been a hell no. It wouldn't have even been a no if you are unclear, you you have clarity on what this relationship was. You do. That's why the hell no with your daughter. I wouldn't want her in this shit. All right. So the fact that you can see it clearly yet you stayed in it anyway says that there was some force operating that was so great inside of you that caused you to go against what you knew was happening. That force is fear. Fear is a powerful thing. So of the fears that you listed, I believe you listed three. I was taking notes. You said, one, I don't want my daughter growing up in a split-parent home. Two, I can't even conceive of myself in a new relationship. And three, and he's a good guy. Is there something I missed as far as your biggest fear in all of this?
4: I think one of them is like, hey, maybe my perspective's wrong like me, like he is a good guy and he's the, everybody loves him and he's so charismatic and he's the guy that takes out the trash for the neighbor lady. So maybe my perspective is wrong.
1: Okay. And yet you chose to divorce him. So that implies that at some point you realized your perspective was right. What was it that caused you to realize your perspective was right? Was it that question that your friend asked you about uh, Emma being in this relationship?
4: Yeah. And honestly, like I'm, I'm a spiritual person and I, I, you know, I prayed a lot about it and it, it felt like I needed to do it before the protection order was over or I wouldn't do it. Like I would
1: have the strength to do it. Uh, so the protection order, if I'm hearing you correctly, gave you a sense of strength.
4: I think so. Cause I, I just felt like if I was gonna file, I needed to do it before that protection was over, order was over And I promised myself, like, when we came back, if the actions repeated themselves, that I wasn't going to put up with it. Good for you. And after I put the protection order on him, he never once said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I lied to you. He was drinking almost a 30-pack a day. Or I'm sorry that I made you feel unsafe. The only thing he said to me was, I hope that you can get help. So you don't keep making decisions that hurt our family. Oh, wow. What a
1: fucking dick. What a dick. Do you realize what a fucking dick he is? Because I see it. Is there an amen here in the studio on, and I know neither of you would use that language, but do either. What's that? Amen. The guy's a dick. That he doesn't want to look at what he does. He wants to blame you for it and say, I hope you can get help because you're such a fucking problem. So you'll stop hurting this family. That's a malicious fuck. That is fucking malicious. Wow. Wow.
4: And that like it definitely screws with your head, you know?
1: Oh, yeah. And like does.
4: last time I talked to him, he goes, You exaggerated my drinking, you attacked my character. And now I realize how toxic and manipulative of a situation.
1: I was in. Oh, that's rich. Do you have something you want to say? The Casey?
3: epitome of being gaslit. Right. I mean, he's, he's totally gaslighting you. So like, that's pretty by the book. That one.
1: Yeah. Okay. And so I want to get down to though, there was something that kept you in it. All this shit is going on. There's so much fucking fear going on inside of you. There's so much fear. Even now you say, I feel like there's so much I could have done, I'm not sure how to own my decision. Are you living that fear right now? Or let me ask you this, how much do you hate not being in your marriage? Put it at a percentage level. Is it 50%, is it 75%, is it 23%? How much do you hate not being in a marriage, your marriage?
4: I think it's 50%, but a lot of it is like, it's scary. I don't know what's gonna happen.
1: Okay. Mm. I feel like
4: he's gonna be so he's gonna be so malicious going through the process. So it's like fifty percent I'm like run away and the other fifty percent is is kind of weird, but it's like you miss the good parts,
1: you know? Of course you do. That's what love is. That's what love is, you know. When a relationship ends, even if the person was a total malicious fuck, the brain, especially when we're alone, the heart misses the good times. We do. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have anything to be ashamed of there. And the more you allow yourself to feel those feelings and even put it into the words, the more you're letting it out. All right, And it's the same with the love. It's the same with the anger. It's allowing yourself to let it out in the sadness, allowing yourself to let it out. Um, and so let me ask you, which do you fear more? Going through the process, because you just said, I'm, I'm afraid he's going to, you know, get, you know, sort of, you didn't use the word crazy, but sort of go a little crazy and get hot and angry and all this and be mean in the divorcing process. Which do you fear more, the process of divorcing or being divorced when it's done? I don't know. They're both really scary. Give me a percentage. What percentage do you fear the process? And what percentage do you fear uh, being divorced? Is it 60, 40? Is it 23, 77? Yeah, I
4: would say 60, 40. Like I'm 60% scared of going through the process Mm -hmm. and 40% scared of, I guess, being lonely after the process.
1: All right. And And it's totally understandable that you're afraid of going through the process. And a divorce, any transition is sad and hard. You know, kids in divorce, for instance, when my kids were young and they'd go from my house to their mother's house or vice versa, they'd always cry no matter which way they were going. And their mother always thought, oh, you must hate your father because you always cry when you have to go over to his house. Yeah, well, they, yeah, ding dong. They cry when they go the opposite direction. Transitions are hard. Transitions in life are hard. If you're moving from San Antonio to San Diego for that new job, it's hard. Maybe exciting, but it's just transitions are hard. Okay. Okay. And uh, and so, the, yet you chose it anyway. That's how bad the pain was, that you feared the transition and you feared being divorced, but you chose it anyway. That's how bad your pain had become. What I want to look at, though, you had said, I 40% fear being divorced. And then you talk about, you know, the being lonely. And so I want to ask you this question, which is harder for you as you think about it? Is it the being alone or is it all those voices that rise up inside of you when you are alone see i'm no good see i'm ugly see i'm too this or i'm not enough that see i'm unlovable see nobody's going to want me see i'm alone but at least if i have someone even if they're abusive at least someone loves me and what that when i have someone who stays it's a counter message to all those messages that have been inside of me my whole life or for a long time saying i'm not good enough i'm not lovable I'm Unwantable. So which is it for you, the actual being alone, or is it the stuff that happens inside of you, the negative messages that happen inside of you when you are alone?
4: Definitely the negative messages, because in a lot of ways I've already been alone. Right. I've been single, married, like emotionally, and he he wouldn't be intimate with me Mm. at all. Mm. And then the comments about my appearance, I think just fed to those voices of like, you're not wanted, you're not attractive. And if the person that like I've committed my life to won't even like touch me, I mean a year Mm. at a time, Mm. six months at a time,
1: I'm so sorry. And then,
4: and then reject me or make comments about my appearance. Mm -hmm. I feel like it just really ingrained those voices in me.
1: And let me ask you, prior to this marriage, prior to this relationship, what was the biggest negative message you had about yourself inside of you? Prior to ever even meeting this person, what was the biggest negative thing that you thought about yourself?
4: I think I definitely had like a lot of insecurity just about with my stature. And I've always had problems being confident in my decision making. Like there's so many significant times in my life that I question my decisions and I don't know why, like I have, like my sister, she can make a decision and just own it and just move on. Mm -hmm. And I want to be able to do that so bad, but I feel like I can't.
1: Let me ask you, when you were growing up, um, were you, you know, were you told what to do a lot? Were you criticized a lot? any of that
4: i was the youngest of four kids so yep
1: <laughs> i'm the i'm the youngest of six kids i get it uh and so yep to which yep you were criticized a lot uh yet you were put down a lot yep what what are we really talking about here
4: i was told what to do a lot and i did have an older brother that would like kind of fight me a lot like he would be mean to me like just randomly push me or like one time he shoved me down the stairs or threw me in the bushes. Right. And you'd always get in trouble for it.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But, but he I, keep do, doing I it. do
1: remember that. First of all, if you are told what to do a lot, that sends the underlying message to the child. Don't listen to your own voice. Listen to my voice. Right? If I'm constantly telling the child what to do, or if I'm criticizing the child's decisions or choices, that child is going to distrust their own inner voice. It doesn't surprise me at all. That you say, you know, I have trouble sticking to my decisions. You even ended your paragraph to us. You said, I am not sure how to own my decision. You were set up to not own this decision because your entire life, you were basically told you make shit decisions. Don't listen to your fucking voice. You need to do what I say. So you've been questioning yourself long before this relationship ever came around. Yeah. Yeah. And, And so the child then... Uh, normalizes giving my power away to someone else. And I'm just gonna listen to what someone else says and thinks. And, and you're not gonna stand up for yourself either. A, because you had a brother that normalized bullying, normalized abuse for you and that you got used to it and that this is okay and I have to back down because my needs, wants and feelings don't matter. So you've been backing down your whole life and you get criticized and you get told what to do. So the notion of standing up for yourself and having a boundary, it's like, I don't even know how to do that because I don't have a relationship with my own voice with my own sense of self. And so you can understand I'm sure with Emma that if you're you and and your ex-husband are constantly telling her what to do and taking her decision-making power from her as she gets older and older, she's not going to trust herself. She's always going to be looking to you, what should I do mom? What should I do dad? What should I do mom? What should I do dad? rather than beginning to make her own decisions and falling flat on her face sometimes, yet still being empowered to make her own decisions. Because the truth is we all fall flat on our faces sometimes, but we have to go back and always keep trusting our own voice and learn. But you were never taught that. You were taught to always listen to some other voice and what they're saying must be true, to the point where you've got this absolute bully that you were married to and you didn't trust your own instincts. You didn't trust your own self. And I understand I'm not criticizing you at all for that. I'm criticizing what you were conditioned to believe about yourself, that my voice can, it is probably isn't right. And my feelings and my wants and my needs don't matter. And if I stand up for myself, I might get criticized. I might get put down. Does this sound somewhat accurate?
4: Yeah. And I think, I think that's what's so painful right now is like i just can't it's to the point that it's almost like incapacitating if i would have set a boundary if i would have done that at the beginning Mm -hmm. how much different everything would be because i do feel like he he came from an abusive childhood himself Mm -hmm. and i do feel like he was trying to be a better person Mm -hmm. than that Mm -hmm. and so it's so hard for me to accept well, if I would have just had boundaries, how would this have been different?
1: Right. And that's the exact question you need to be asking because the truth is, first of all, you're 37 by your own admission, 37 years old, right? Yeah. So that means you are going to have other relationships in your life. I guarantee it. And you're going to be confronted with that moment and it starts early in relationships or it always starts small. Let's at least say that. Where someone hurts my feelings. And if it's not, if you don't nip that shit in the bud when it's small, small things become big things and it will get worse. And it requires the willingness to not just stand up for myself, but not back down. When someone's hurting me or when someone doesn't apologize or when someone doesn't own their shit or when someone is you know, always escalating, it's like, whoa, whoa. One of the benefits, and I know this may sound insane to you right now, Lydia, but one of the benefits of going through hell is that you're far less likely to go there the second time and it's far less intimidating the third time. In other words, because you've gone through this of allowing someone to walk over your boundaries and treat you like shit, next time it's going to be like, oh, no, 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 no fucking way. You're not going to treat me that way, buddy. But in order to be able to stand up for yourself, the thing that kept you from standing up for yourself was the fear. It was fear. Fear of the escalation, fear that we'd get too mad at each other but it wasn't just getting mad at each other that if we got too mad at each other, I might leave or he might leave. And then I would be alone with all those negative voices inside. That's what you really fear. That's what kept you in this fucking shit show of a relationship with this dick. That's what kept you in it. It was the fear of being alone and that those messages that, See, I'm no good. See, I'm unlovable. See, I'm unwantable. See, no one's ever going to want to love me. And the truth is, (laughs) Liddy, you're going to have no problems finding men, not even finding men, having men, good men that are good to you and want to be with you and earn your trust and treat you well. But ain't nobody going to love you until you begin to love yourself first. What that really, really means in your self-work, in your work with your therapist, the thing you need to really be going down to is those messages that you're so afraid of. and That's what I address in my book, There's a Hole in My Love Cup, getting down to those core messages that you're so afraid of because if you fear those messages rising up inside of you, then you're just going to hold on to the next person who Gives you some love because, hey, if they're here, if I were really unlovable, they wouldn't be here. So the mere fact that they're here says I'm lovable. So I can't bear to let you go. I'm going to hold on to you so tight. I'll let you have everything. I'll let you even bully me or be mean to me or take my money or hurt my kids or whatever. And you know that's not right. You know you don't want that. But that's how powerful that fear is, that fear of those inner voices. So what really has to happen is you have to go in there and begin to identify those voices that come from way back. And you gotta begin to find the origins and let out the pain and let out the anger, maybe even some hatred or rage, and to begin to flush that shit out because that's what kept you crippled in this relationship, that fear of those voices, that fear of those messages. Does this make any sense at all?
4: Yeah, it totally does. It's just like the pain of like realizing that you didn't realize it sooner.
1: <laughs> oh no, for sure, for sure. I get that a lot. People say, "God, I wish I would have done this healing work when I was 25, or I wish you know I would have realized, gotten out of the marriage, you know, after 10 years rather than taking 25 years." And it's easy to find one more reason to beat yourself up, Lydia. You know, you know, when you're a person who's used to beating herself up her whole life, it's easy to find one more thing. But this isn't the time to be beating up Lydia. All right, there's been enough of that. This is the time to begin to be compassionate towards Lydia while you're also going inside and finding those things inside of you that cause you to beat yourself up. And again, that's that's what the book is for, is uh, there's a hole in my love cup. Um, I want to ask Rob and KC, who are in studio with me, if if they have any thoughts or question or anything they might like to
3: add. I have tons of stuff I want to add. What's the biggest thing the you want to The first add? thing I want to say to Lydia is that I've been where she is. And so I'm not judging you in any way by the things that I have made notes of that I want to say to you. Um, The first thing I want to say to you is that Halle Berry's husband cheated on her. Okay. Halle Berry is one of the most beautiful women on earth, in my opinion, and the opinion of probably 95% of the population. That wasn't about Halle Bailey. It was about Halle Berry. It was about her husband. And it's the same thing in your case. You're a beautiful woman. The fact that you're six 6'4 just means there's more of you to love. And there are plenty of men in this world that are going to love you and think that you are the sexiest thing on earth. And that life is just totally waiting for you to let go of this old life. Um, and it brings me to one of the, the sayings that Sven says, and I'm sure that I'm going to butcher this, but it's something to the effect of, you have to let go of the life that you are imagining is the life that you're supposed to be having right now so that you can accept the life that you're going to have. Um, you know, there is, there, there are plenty of people that are going to love you. So you just have to let go of this person that is obviously not loving you, you know, so that, so that you can learn to love yourself without his abuse around you constantly. Um, And so that you can heal from the abuse that he's given you, and then you can move on, you know, to your next love or your next life, you know, and and maybe that does or does not include a man. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: Rob, any thoughts?
2: Well, looking in from outside, it's um, fairly obvious that it doesn't make much sense to regret. Uh, leaving such an abuser, but when you are inside, it's totally different, and I can totally understand just how hard that is. Yeah,
1: yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, Lydia, any final questions that you have for me or for the team?
4: I guess moving forward, how do I, how do I get that confidence? In, in my decision because every time I look back, I can't make progress. It's like trading water. Right. So it's like I feel like I'm grasping for the confidence to move forward and and keep growing, but I feel paralyzed.
1: Yeah. Yeah. A few things. One, what keeps us from believing in ourselves that that confidence is all the shit that's packed down on top of you. All of the fears, the bullshit beliefs you were taught about yourself, all of the pain. Your confidence, your own inner voice, your God-given voice inside of you, that sense of self and your sense of strength, it's in there. It didn't go anywhere. It's not gone. It's just that there's so much other shit packed on top of it. Yes, the shit from this marriage, but the shit from way back there, the original messages that are undermining you. It's all packed on top of it. So your job needs to be to get that stuff out. And the more and more you flush that shit out, the stronger you're going to become because you're getting the negative out. What you're thinking is, well, the negative's in there. I just need to pull up more of the positive. Uh Uh-uh, because the negative's still in there. If you got a love cup that's full of crud and you're just going to try to pour more love in there, the crud is still in there. You got to go inside that cup and pull all that shit out of there. And again, that's what I wrote my book for. There's a hole in my love cup. It literally holds your hand. It steps you through the process of getting that crud out of there. And as far as this decision itself, this particular decision, one of the things that will help you, that can help you as you're going through the divorce process itself and to give yourself strength is you need to each day be journaling about all the shit from the relationship. And also... Because you have the love in there, let's get that out too. Write letters to your husband that you do not send. Do not send. I was the guy that sent him. Bad idea. I sent letters to the abuser. Bad idea. But write the letters expressing your love for him and flush it out. And maybe in the same letter or a different letter also, Write all your rage at him, all your anger, all your hurt, all your sadness, flushing it out, flushing it out, flushing it out. You have to get all of the crud and all of the love out of you because right now it's inside of you and it's this big mumble, bumbled, tangled, mangled mess inside of you. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. Rob, did you want to say something?
2: Yeah, Lydia, take the confidence you had on the basketball court and apply it to the rest of your life because there are few qualities that are more attractive than a sense of confidence.
1: In any person, male or female, absolutely. And he, he tried to steal that from you, but you stood up and made your decision. You stood strong. You got the hell out of there and got your daughter out of there. That was an ma- a, a act of strength. And you got the restraining order, or, you know, and you are filing for divorce, the protection order. These are all acts of strength. And if it helps you to focus on all the crud that was in your relationship to make you feel stronger, great. But you have to be flushing out all of the pain, the sadness, and the love. Lydia, I wanna thank you so much for being on our show. You were really so special and you shared and you were vulnerable and you opened up. And this is so, so can be so hard to go through. And every one of us on the production team, we've all been where you are. We have. Not just the divorce, but the abuse as well. We've all been there. All right? And we know it's hard. But every single one of us fought our way through it and did the work to get out the pain and found joy on the other side. Every single one of us in this room, out of three who were in abusive marriages, every single one of us is in great relationships right now. And found, and there may be other before you get in your next major relationship, there may be smaller ones or whatever. But as long as you're doing the work of healing yourself, all of your relationships will get better because you will less and less tolerate anyone, friends, lovers, anything, boss, you will less and less tolerate people treating you poorly because you'll begin to believe in yourself more and say, No, I deserve better than this. Thank you so much for being on our show, Lydia. Thank you, Sven pleasure was ours pleasure was ours and to those of you tuning in around the world thank you so much on behalf of rob and Casey and myself and the entire uh, badass counseling show team and followers have a kick-ass day
0: the badass counseling show is strictly copyrighted no copies may be made without the express written consent of the badass counseling show llc the badass counseling show is produced by karen camparelli and robert h friedman Executive producer, Sven Erlinson. Original music by two-time Emmy Award-winning composer, Trevor Morris. Have a kick-ass day.